Jesus Christ, He truly is our living hope. Glad you've come to be a part of our worship today. Find your Bibles, if you would, or on your smartphone or tablet, whatever you may have. We're going to the fourth gospel, John chapter 11 at this time. If you'd find John chapter 11. We are glad to see you. Hope that you've had a good week. We know this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we know that we serve a God of new beginnings. So it is a new day and a new week. And uh, we are ready to serve him and also to follow the direction he would have for each one of us. Uh, we In a sermon series here during November, I didn't realize a few weeks ago when I uh, named the series so close that it would have any political ramifications. But uh, we realize and we understand, we know that uh, who's in charge, we know. And uh, talk about who is the victor or who's the victory. Well, we've already been told we're the victors for those of us who have put our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's because of that in which we rejoice. Thank you so much to our praise band. Thank you for, it would be okay. Would you applaud how the Lord has used them today leading us in worship? Excellent job, great energy today, but we know more than that, it's a spiritual energy that we've come because we've come to this place in the name of our Lord and Savior. We know that uh, He's going to continue to be at work. Well, let that, uh, let that spiritual energy, work of the Holy Spirit, continue now as we go to God's Word and we learn from that. We're reading John chapter 11. We're reading verses 1 through 15 to begin with. There'll be some more verses, as you know, uh, probably as we get into this story. It may be that the Lord gives us much encouragement or teaches us something new even today. This now is the Word of God. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said... This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Keep your Bibles open if you would. We'll look at a few more verses as we go. Well, this, uh, this past weekend, last weekend, my, one of my favorite actors uh, passed away. Uh, on Saturday, October 31st, Sean Connery died, the original James Bond, the real 007 of all others probably would be just imitation. Of course, we know that he made hundreds of, uh, of movies. Uh, also one of my favorite, he was the father of Indiana Jones, you might remember, Dr. Jones. And, and then he was, uh, you might remember perhaps The Untouchables, where he was uh, the seasoned Chicago cop Jim Malone. Are you all aware of who I'm talking about at all? You know, he had kind of an accent, talked a little, well, I, start, I sound more like the Grinch when I try to talk like Sean Connery, but you know. <laughs> 
But in the, in the movie The Untouchables, he's actually talking to Elliot Ness, and he's describing to him the, the Chicago way. And he says, this is the Chicago way. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He said, he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. But now, having said that, you realize I'm using this to say that's not the Jesus way, is it? In fact, Jesus told us, think about what Jesus said is his way. If he is your enemy, love him. If she curses you, bless her. If he hates you or if he hates you, do good to him. If she spitefully uses you and persecutes you, pray for her. That's the Jesus way. Because you see, Jesus' way is not usually the way of the world. It's not even maybe our way most of the time. But close friends of Jesus seek to follow his ways. We talk about these close friends of Jesus. It's after this uh, heavenly political week, I almost felt the need to preach last week's sermon again. But we recognize, of course, that we know the one who is truly in charge. And we know that uh, victory has already been shared for all those who profess Christ as Lord. In this 11th chapter of the Gospel of John with the death of Lazarus, we're given a glimpse of the first century church and how they view perhaps the death and dying and even the uh, grieving period of a loved one. But we're even given a better picture of the compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we are given a picture of what it means to be a close friend of the Savior of the world. If you could be friends with anybody in the world today, who would you be friends with? Somebody that was rich? somebody that was famous, maybe somebody that was strong or powerful? Would you be friends with somebody that could do something for you? Or would you be among the not-so-ordinary, the more Jesus way, maybe to be a friend for, with somebody that you could do something for? Or truly like Jesus, be a friend of somebody who needed a friend? From one of the most famous miracles of Jesus in the Bible, we'll consider two things today. Hope you've got your notes there in front of you, or they're going to be on the screen here. But the we're going to consider, first of all, why you need Jesus. One of the reasons you need Jesus, and we find in this passage, is that you need somebody to love and to believe in you. We all need someone to see good in us, see that we are someone who is worthwhile. Even uh, with our faults, they love and care for us anyway. You remember that Proverbs wrote, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. But let's talk for just a moment how Mary, Martha, and Lazarus felt about Jesus. Whenever Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, it was likely that most of the time he stayed in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Bethany was where they lived was two miles from Jerusalem, and often that's where he would come and stay in the night. We know of one occasion to where Martha was busy in the kitchen and Mary was at the feet of Jesus. We know also that Mary was the one who came and anointed. It's mentioned here that Mary came and anointed the feet of Jesus. Curiously enough, it's mentioned here in chapter 11, but that event didn't occur until John chapter 12. Of course, John's writing in retrospect of all the things that were happening. And while Mary and Martha were certainly different individuals with their own characteristics and traits, uh, we have very little that Mary said, and Martha does most of the talking for the family. In fact, the only thing we might have of Mary is what's said in this particular chapter. We have no recorded words of the words of Lazarus. And as a whole, this brother and two sisters saw in Jesus who he was, and they understood as well as anyone, and maybe even better than the disciples up to this point, of who Christ was and that he was the Messiah. They probably still had lessons to learn about him being a sacrificial Messiah. Well, how did Jesus feel about them? We read it just a moment ago. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5 that we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were like family. 
How about this? They may have been truly his family at this time because we know that his brothers and sisters rejected him until after the resurrection. And while Jesus was the perfect friend, we know that these three were not perfect because only Christ is. And spending time with Jesus instead of helping in the kitchen, we might remember that Mary was doing that very thing. She came at one point and she was there at the feet of Jesus. And, and then we find that Martha was gently reprimanded because she had told Jesus, send Mary in here to help me prepare. And Jesus told us, well, Mary's chosen the better thing. She's spending time with me. Now, I want to tell you that this can work sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time. There have been time, I think, when we've, maybe I was supposed to be helping with preparations, but I tried to use it. I'm spending time with Jesus. It just looks like I'm sitting in the recliner with my eyes closed while the ball game is on. So it doesn't work all the time, but we realize this was an imperfect family. In spite of their imperfections, Jesus loved them, and his love for them was unconditional. Notice how he describes Lazarus in verse 11 of chapter 11. He, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Our friend Lazarus. There may be no better description of a follower of Christ than to be called a friend of Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' relationship with Jesus helps us understand why we need Jesus and also serves for us as an example of needed friendships where we see the good in others and develop a Christ-like love for others. But also we need Jesus because you need somebody to share joys and trials, somebody to be with you in the good times and the bad times. Times of rejoicing are not very joyful if we don't have anybody to share it with, and tough times become even tougher. What's the phrase we sometimes hear in uh, wedding ceremonies when they're you know, that uh, sometimes your joys are doubled and sorrows are halved when coming together. When Lazarus was sick, these friends thought of Jesus and sent word to him, which meant they knew where he was, or they knew somebody that knew where he was. And by this time it was that the religious leaders had told all the Jewish people, said, if you know where Jesus is, you need to tell us so that we might be able to arrest him. So not everybody knew where Jesus was, but these, these friends knew and they immediately thought of sending word to Jesus. According to chapter 10, Jesus was in a city just across the Jordan River about 20 miles or so away, a little less than a day's walk. Now, Jesus is well known for his healing by this time. Three years ministry have come and gone by. He's healed hundreds, if not thousands, because there are some places more than one time that he was in the city. He would just said that he healed everybody that was in the city. So they had no hesitation to call on him because their brother had been sick. Now, we've awakened a family member probably at night or maybe even a church family or friend or sometime because uh, we've had a need or maybe had a child sick and didn't hesitate to ask. Now, we're, we're not known, most of us, for our healing of others, but we don't mind praying for others and certainly uh, don't mind giving our advice or opinion and even sharing medication when necessary. When we have some really good news also, we can't wait to share with a family member or friend. Jesus already knows our greatest joys and toughest sorrows, but we need to know that we're not in this alone. Jesus and only Jesus knows exactly what we're going through and every thought and every feeling. It is the reason that he came and he lived amongst us because, so that we might be able to know exactly that we have somebody that knows all the things that we've thought, all the things that we have felt. And we come to him in thanksgiving and with our request, and he does for us what nobody else can do. 
When this close family was in crisis, their first person they thought of was their best friend, Jesus. We ought to think of Jesus first when we're in crisis and when we need to give thanks. This is the month of Thanksgiving. We're told to give thanks, and we usually do so this month, but we're told in Scriptures that we are to give thanks always in every circumstance. Why else do you need Jesus? Well, you need Jesus because you need somebody to do what is needed and what is best. Jesus does a curious thing when he hears of his friend in need. He delays two more days before coming, and then after that he says, let's go to Judea. So four days passes counting the time of travel. Now Jesus is coming to the end of his three-year ministry, and by now it's dangerous to go anywhere near Jerusalem. Bethany's less than two miles from Jerusalem. The last time they were in Jerusalem, the disciples were reminded, and they tried to stone him. Now know that Jesus did not delay because it was dangerous. He delayed for a reason that becomes a little more clear, but there was no obstacle that would keep Jesus from helping his friends, meaning Lazarus that was sick and now dead, and Mary and Martha in their grief. But Jesus knew what was the best for his friends. Now, compare with me, if you would, verse 5 and verse 6. We read verse 5 a moment ago. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then it says, so that he loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved them so much that he stayed two more days and did not come immediately. Now consider what Jesus could have done. Here he was, Jesus. He could have supernaturally had been there in a moment's notice. He could have traveled through the night and uh, been there the very next day or even on the same day in order to be at his side. When Lazarus died, maybe even before he got the message, and so there were four days that Lazarus was going to be in the tomb. He could have, uh, he could have done what he had done in the past, like with the centurion servant, and he could have just healed him right there on the spot without even being present. He could have done many things, but... Jesus always knows what is best. We need Jesus in our life because He's going to do that which is very best. And if we didn't know the rest of this story, the actions, at least at this point, do not seem that He's that concerned for His friend. There is, of course, underlying reason about the ways of God, the perception of people. His ways are not our ways. Eight times in this passage the word believe is used. Now, there are a lot of evangelists out there and a lot of maybe television preachers that may tell you that, listen, if you follow this certain formula, as long as you seek to stay obedient, you will be blessed and have no problems. But we know we need to be very careful about that. But wouldn't it be, it's easy to believe if you have no problems or you think you're not going to have any problems. But what Jesus wants to know, are you going to, how are you going to be when the world is turned upside down and the wheels are falling off your Wagon and nothing's going for you, and you wonder what's going to happen next, and you don't know that you can handle much more, will you still believe? When your candidate did not win, will you still believe? Consider another reason why you need Jesus, because you need somebody to give life, new life and eternal life. Now, these first three things that we've talked about are reasons that we need Jesus, because you need to... These could be fulfilled at least partially by somebody else. You need somebody to love you and you need somebody to believe in you. The Lord uses other people in our life in order to do that very thing. You need somebody that you might be able to share joys and sorrows. You need somebody uh, that always seeks to do what is best. But this fourth, only Jesus could do. Listen, 
I would argue that Jesus can only, is the only one that can do all of these perfectly, but only Jesus can provide for you life, new and eternal. There was another group of friends that Jesus was concerned about, and those were his disciples. They, they may be in a different kind of distress, because while they surely were concerned for the friends in Bethany, they were worried about what was going to happen if they go back to Judea or Jerusalem. Jesus, remember last time we went... Remember, they tried, to, they tried to stone you. If we go, worry that something might help and then happen to us. Then Jesus tells them that Lazarus is asleep and he's going there to wake him up. Now, Jesus had used this term sleep. It's not the first time or last time he would use it. And it would be used throughout the New Testament because we know that as believers that death is not permanent. And we understand even if physical death is permanent, we spiritually wake up to be with Jesus. But the disciples misunderstood, and they said, well, now, if he's asleep, well, somebody else can wake him up. He'll wake up. Or if he's just a little bit sick, listen, then give him some antibiotics, and I'm sure that he'll be better soon. And so Jesus told them very plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he gives the reason for the delay in verse 15 that we read a moment ago. And for your sakes, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I was not there so that you might believe. Well, didn't they already believe? Well, surely they did. They were following Jesus, but did they need to grow deeper in their belief? Could it be that the Lord has brought you here today in order that maybe you already believe, but so that you might be able to grow even deeper in your faith? Could it be that you go through some of the things that you go through, and we've done all gone through some of the things that we have in 2020, so that we might grow deeper in our belief? And then Thomas speaks up in verse 16. We read through verse 15 a moment ago, but look at verse 16. We'll read Thomas the twin, known as Doubting Thomas. And remember, they're worried if they go, what's going to happen to them? And then Thomas speaks up, and you've got to admire his courage when he says, So Thomas called the twin and says to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was pretty sure if they go back to Judea, well, they may not make it. His was... Uh, fatalistic but courageous attitude. Some years ago, Alabama Baptists had a partnership with the missionaries and many believers who were living in Venezuela, and uh, which meant we sent funds and things out there and also went on many mission trips. I was to lead a mission trip some years ago to Venezuela. A group of Alabama Baptists and some from our church were to go, but a few weeks or a couple of months before we were to go, there was a coup in Venezuela. It happens often there, and so in the capital city, one somebody took over the government. A few days later, the original government overtook it again. Lots of violence in the streets and riots and those kind of things. Yeah, making sure we're not talking about the United States. Yeah, that was in Venezuela that that was taking place. And, and, uh, and so uh, during that time, some of the trips had been canceled. Ours was still on standby because it was still a few weeks away. But during one of the men who were to go with us from the church, going on his first trip with us, and he, came, he said, we're not really going to Venezuela, are we? I said, well, if they make it clear, tell us it's safe. I'm sure that sure we'll go. A couple of other men had already backed out. I'm pretty sure their wives had something to do with it and when they heard about things happening in Venezuela. But we uh, got cleared to go. But in the conversation with this particular individual that came and asked me, he went from there's no way I'm going to go until almost the opposite spectrum to where he said, hey, I'm ready to go. I believe Jesus wants me to go, and I'm ready to die for him. And uh, I tried to explain to him, we're going to be in a protected area. They're not going to let us go if it's not safe. You know, there's always a chance, but, you know, 
uh, but I don't think I ever convinced him. But he was ready to go and die for Jesus. He took two suitcases like all of us did with supplies and clothes and those kind of things. As soon as we got there, he began to give those things away. A lot of people do when they come into an underdeveloped country and see the poverty and they give those things away and that's okay. I don't know if he had planned to before he went, but he was giving everything away. Both suitcases he gave away, everything that he had till he came back on, remember back on the plane, I remember him getting on the plane, he had one paper sack, t-shirt, blue jeans, I'm pretty sure he was wearing shoes. To where if he gave anything else away though, it would have been a modesty question, I'm pretty sure. And, and, uh, but it dawned on me during the, during the 10 days we were there, he's giving stuff away not simply because he feels for those people, though that's part of it, but he's thinking this is going to be his last trip. He's not going to make it back. We touched down in Atlanta. We're coming off the plane. He leaned over to me and he said, Well, I guess we made it back alive. I've never seen somebody so disappointed to come back alive. <laughs> but I told him, I said, Well, hang in there. There's always next time you can do it. And I admire him for his courage, but oh, how the Lord wants to teach us to build our faith as well. Now, in a few decades, Thomas actually would give his life as a martyr. But for now, Jesus was helping his friends and his disciples to understand who he is and to have a stronger faith in him. For the Jesus we know is the only one who can give real living to us. He's the only one who can give us eternal life and give us purpose. The raising of Lazarus is evidence of a resurrection for all who place their faith in him. If you're not convinced at this moment that we will be resurrected, all those who put their faith in Him by His grace, then I hope that in the next few minutes that you will not just, that you will just not be uh, uh, assured, but you will be convinced that if you place your faith in Christ, or if you have placed in faith in Christ, there is no doubt that He gives you life, new life, and even resurrected life. Consider also, told you a couple of things to consider. We're going to consider lessons from close friends of Jesus. And we're going to leave, read a little bit about the interaction that takes place between the friends, of, the friends and Jesus that are mentioned in this passage. First of all, we're going to look at Martha. If you've got your Bibles open in John chapter 11, let's pick up at verse 20. In verse 20 it says, and we'll read through 27, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is one of those great I am passages. You know, I'm talking about the Jesus seven times, particularly in the book of John. Jesus says, I am taking from. Have you all ever heard of Moses in the Old Testament? Moses, of course, when he stood at the burning bush and asked God, What is your name? He said, I am that I am. And now Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he comes and he gives one of these I am passages to where he tells Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, I want, you to, I want you to be able to see a pitfall here that perhaps Martha faced that Jesus helped her with that could help us today not to have a pitfall and keep us from trusting in Jesus like we should today. I want you to notice in the exchange that takes place, Martha meets Jesus on the road. And he says to her, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. 
Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again, Martha says. I know that he will at the last day. Then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense. I am the resurrection and the life today, not just yesterday, not just tomorrow. It's the pitfall of always thinking about the past and always just thinking about the future. We should thank the Lord for the past and we should thank the Lord that He came in and He saved us and share a testimony with others and be able to say, yes, I place my faith in Jesus. We also should be able to look to the future and realize that we know Jesus is coming again. One day we're going to spend eternity with Him in heaven and we know that that is true and we know that that is real. But sometimes if we're only putting our trust in the past and the future, we're not so much today. So let me ask you this question today. If you can point to the past and know that you've been gloriously saved and you can look to the future and trust that all eternity is in God's hands, then why do you have so much trouble trusting God with your life today? Martha said in verse 22, I know that whatever you ask, the Heavenly Father will give you. Yet when Jesus asked later to remove the stone, you remember this, Martha protests. In fact, she says, Lord, it's been four days. She said, been four days. Why doesn't she want him to remove the stone? You remember what it says in the uh, King James? He stinketh. It's my favorite King James phrase, actually. It's he stinketh. It reminds us that sometimes our present day, that which right in front of us, sometimes our faith stinketh. Ah, oh, it needs to smell a little bit better. It needs to smell a little bit better. The resurrection of her brother taught a powerful lesson. Here's the lesson you have in your notes. You can have a closer relationship with Jesus by practicing your faith in the present, by practicing today. Martha gave a wonderful profession of faith in verse 27. We read it a moment ago. I know that you're the Christ, the Son of God. But unless we're practicing our faith in the present, it sounds like lip service and not genuine faith. We learn a lesson also from Mary. We're going to pick up in our verses in verse 28. Listen to this exchange of Mary and Jesus. Verse 28, when, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord... Come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Mary's words to Martha, Mary's words to Jesus were exactly the same as Martha's words to Jesus. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Four days they had gone and probably they'd said to one another, well, you know, if Jesus had been here, our brother would not have died. Yeah, yeah that's right. If Jesus would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. They may have said it to other people. They may have even said, when I see Jesus, that's what I'm going to tell him. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. They practiced it and they came. Have you ever been there that you wonder what God's up to? Lord, where are you? Lord, when are you going to make yourself known? Lord, what are you going to do next? Or I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. I want you to notice Jesus' response. 
First of all, he sees Mary crying. He sees the crowd that's crying. In verse 33, it says there that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Why is he deeply... Jesus, knowing what he's going to do, he's already told the disciples, we're going to go wake him up, but he's dead, so why would he be deeply troubled? Well, the most obvious reason, the grieving of Mary and Martha and even the people that were there. And the Bible says that Jesus knows our thoughts and needs and he's compassionate with us, so certainly we know that. Uh, the people respond when they see Jesus crying. They say, oh, look how, much he loved, look how much he loved his friend Lazarus. But they probably misunderstood because he's not necessarily crying for Lazarus. Um, if he'd been crying or weeping because of Lazarus, it, was pro it would have been because he's about to ask Lazarus to come back who's been in heaven for four days and come back from the land of the living, which is heaven, and come back to the land of the dying and the, where the sinful people are. Well, that would have been a sad thing, but Jesus did that. He had his purposes, and Lazarus, of course, was not resurrected for all time yet, and he came back. So maybe there's another reason. We know certainly that Jesus was compassionate, but maybe it is because Jesus is all about the mission. Do you remember the only other time that it talks about Jesus wept? He wept over the city of Jerusalem and because of their lack of faith. I think it is similar here. He sees Mary weeping. He sees the crowd, the mourners who are there weeping, and most of those are not believers or followers of Jesus yet. And so he's weeping because, also maybe because of their lack of faith. So there's, there's a lesson here. You've got your notes. Maybe the, it is this. It is in compassion. Weep with those who weep. In faith, trust the one who is trustworthy. Because we need to remember don't forget the mission. Jesus, regardless of the physical things that were happening around them, even the loss of a loved one, he never forgot the mission. Let's learn something also maybe from the exchange with Lazarus as well. We're going to pick up at verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them could not, but some of them said, could not he open the eye, he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And we'll stop right there. I believe this to be the greatest miracle outside of the resurrection that we find in Scripture. I, I wish we could visualize the drama of all that took place as they rolled the stone away. Martha protests that all the odor is going to be unbearable. It's been four days. Four days was significant, maybe particularly for the Jewish faith, because they believed, they falsely believed that a spirit kind of 
hung around for three days. But after three days, that spirit was gone. Now it's been four days as well. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God? Note the scene there. Mary is there. Martha is there. There are mourners who are present. It would be Jewish tradition even to hire mourners and friends as well. And obviously they've been there for many days now. They're mourning and the disciples are there. Not one person gives any indication that they believe that Jesus would bring their friend back to life. Jesus prays to the Father and he prays with confidence. Thanks for answering my prayer. I know that you always answer, but I say this to those who can hear so that they will believe. Then Jesus looks into the tomb and he says, with authority, the same voice that spoke light and light came into being. The same voice that spoke the world and all living things into being. The same voice that all heaven and earth tremble at hearing. The same voice that the angels wait to listen to see what is their next assignment. That voice said distinctly and with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now I'm convinced if he had not been specific, if he had not said Lazarus, that all who had died in ages past at the, at the name and the voice of Jesus would have risen from the dead at that very moment. We see Lazarus still in grave clothes. He comes out of the tomb and Jesus tells him, remove the grave clothes so that he might be set free. We can hardly think of this scene without thinking of the resurrection of our Lord, the same Lord who spoke these things. It would not be many days that he would be in a tomb, very tomb similar to this that would be a cave and a stone rolled away. And that stone would be rolled away, but no one would have to move that stone because the stone was rolled away so that we might be able to see in and be able to see that the grave is empty. And because of the empty tomb, we know that we're able to have the life that he has promised each one of us, simply because he loves us and not because we deserve it. But also, we cannot see this interaction that takes place with Lazarus without thinking of our own life, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and Jesus calls us. And when he calls us, for all those who have responded to him, and we've come forth, we've had to take away the grave clothes, all those trappings of sin in this world, so that we might be set free, free from sin and free to be able to live for him. Jesus gives us new perspective on everything, including death. We now know we are not in the land of the living and one day going to the land of the dying, but instead we truly are in the land of the dying. And because of His grace, we're going to the land of the living. So here's our lesson. Also, Jesus offers life to you who were or are dead in your trespasses and sins for all who answer when Jesus calls. If you know Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And He's called you to a new life. If you don't know Christ today, you are dead at this moment, dead in your trespasses and sin, and Jesus gives us new life, only made possible because of the grace of God. If you don't know Christ today, if you're here today or you're listening today online, we encourage you to give your heart and life to Him. Asking Christ to forgive you of all your sins, asking Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. One other group of friends in one verse... First of all, the, new, the other group of, are new friends. And the exchange that takes place is in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him.
some of those who were present there that day were followers of Jesus and they needed their faith strengthened and they needed to come closer to Jesus just like some of us do today. Some of those people who were there today were, became new friends of Jesus. Not all, but some did. Do you know what the Great Commission is? Go therefore and make disciples. But it could also be said and stated to go and find those who will be new friends of Jesus. So here's your lesson. Demonstrate your new life before others so more will believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You and I, we can't save anyone. We can share our story and our testimony. We can tell the plan of salvation. We can bring people to places to where they will hear the good news. We can pray for people, but we can't save anybody. Only Jesus can do the saving. But all how He has chosen, and we're the only plan that He has for us to be able to demonstrate Jesus before others, bring them to places to where they will be able to hear the good news, demonstrate and show how Christ has made a new life for us so that more people will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. So if you know Christ today as your Savior and Lord, as the friends of Jesus came closer than they'd ever been that day, that's our desire today is that we come closer and our faith is strengthened more so than ever before. Even those who are very close friends of Jesus came even closer. And it's also a prayer that there'll be many new friends of Jesus. It's our prayer today, if you don't know Christ, that you'll become a friend of Jesus as well. May we come closer than we've ever been. May nothing, there, there is not anything that is wasted in the economy of God. Meaning, that whatever you're going through today, whatever we've gone through this year, the Lord is using. To bring us to Him if we don't know Him as Lord and Savior, or the Lord is using. Even what's going to happen in the future, the Lord is using so that we might grow closer to Him and we grow strong in our faith, demonstrate Jesus before others. Let's pray together. Father, we thankful for Your presence here in this place. We know, and it's evident, Father, by the spiritual energy that we're able but we know it's not just a feeling we know it's fact because of what God's word says because we've come together in your name we pray father for all those who are here today all those who are listening today we thank you for what for some may be a familiar story of the raising of Lazarus father we pray that you'll use that story even today to remind us of your resurrection and the fact that you've given us new life we pray father help us to not waste our time or your time but father help us to use this time to draw close to you even now father even in these moments we pray that we're drawing close and we pray father if there's one or more listening today that do not know you as lord and savior they're unsure not confident of a home in heaven or that you're living in their heart that today might be the day of salvation or the day of assurance that they can know they have christ and that you'll never leave nor forsake. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.